Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This is a new name, Jesus. It's very similar to Jehoshua, what we call Joshua. And that was that name we saw in Exodus. That was the person that, as you know, that Moses passed his baton to. And Moses did that in Exodus 24, 13. Exodus 24, 13. We have him introduced. Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. And so the derivative of the name Joshua appears in scriptures as Yeshua, as Jesus, as Jesus, the Greek form. For example, in Nehemiah 7.7, Nehemiah 7.7, it speaks about those who came out with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, and so forth. So we have them there, have them there. But this was given, this name is special. It was given to him because of its meaning. In fact, his name is his mission. He is the Messiah. There is no Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Okay? <laughs> he, is, he is the Messiah. He is Jesus, the Messiah. And how he's introduced here in the first verse is that we're told that he is the son of David, he is the son of Abraham. So God made this promise to Abraham, and God made this promise, he renewed it to David, about the Messiah was coming, the Messiah was coming. And to David, the emphasis was that he was going to be a king in Psalm 132.11. Psalm 132.11, the Lord speaking to David said, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it of the fruit of thy body will I set up upon thy throne. And of course, the first primary fulfillment of this is Solomon, but goes beyond that because it says in Psalm 89.3, Psalm 89.3, Psalm 89.3, I've made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Well, Solomon didn't go for all generations, neither did David. So we understand that there was more to come, more to come. So the title of the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David. It is very important, the son of David, because when you called him the son of David, you were saying something about him. You were saying that you see him as the Messiah King. And even the Canaanite woman who was not Jewish, but she was a forerunner. She was kind of showing us a pattern of all the Gentiles that were going to come in later. And when she approaches the Lord in Matthew 15, 22, Matthew 15, 22, it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. What is a Gentile woman, a Canaanite, doing talking about the son of David? Well, she was coming into the fold. She was coming into the congregation of believers. And in doing that, she was saying, You are the son of David. It was those who were in the greatest need who called him the son of David. For example, there were two blind Jewish men 
And they wanted to be healed by the Lord. They wanted their blindness to be healed. So they call out to him in Matthew 20, 30. Matthew 20, verse 30. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. They triggered the name, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Very important term. This is the title. It was the title he was called on Palm Sunday by the multitude and then by the group of children in the temple. When it says in Matthew 21, 9, Matthew 21, 9, the multitude that went before and followed cried saying, Hosanna, thou son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So, and then it goes on to say, when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Well, who is this? This is the son of David. Anyway, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And then later on in, in Matthew 21, 15, he comes, he was the city, and now he makes his way into the temple. Matthew 21, 15, it says, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. So it's very important as the book of Matthew starts off by calling him the son of David and the son of Abraham, because we're shown by this how God is so faithful to his promises. He made those promises thousands of years before to Abraham and hundreds of years before to David, and he's faithful now to his promises. And he's making this clear when he calls him the son of David and the son of Abraham. This really is setting the stage when it talks about him in Matthew 1, 1 here about the son of David and son of Abraham, setting the stage for two words that are going to describe what's going to happen in this book. He is the Jewish Messiah. He's the king. So the one word is the word fulfillment, fulfillment, because he's a fulfillment of the prophetic promises. And we're all going to start to see that begin to come out. And because the promise, the fulfillment all goes back to that verse in Genesis 12, 3, that God spoke to Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, when God said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So he is the son of Abraham. He is the one who's going to, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And God renewed that to Abraham in Genesis twenty two eighteen. Genesis twenty two eighteen, when he said, and in thy seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham believes this, and therefore he's called the father of faith, it says in Romans 4.16. Romans 4.16, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, all the faithful, the ones who believe. And so Abraham now in scriptures, it could be seen as the beginner of faith because he's characterized this way. Whereas the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 12.2, Hebrews 12.2, it speaks about him as Jesus, the finisher of our faith, the finisher of our faith. That was the first word, fulfillment. He is the Messiah, but he is also the rejected Jewish Messiah. He is the rejected Jewish king. So the other word that's going to characterize throughout this book is the word conflict or antagonism antagonism or conflict, because he is the Jewish Messiah, he is a Jewish king, but he's rejected by the Jewish people. And so these are the two words that overlay the book of Matthew, the word fulfillment and the word antagonism or conflict. Basically, 
what you have in the book of Matthew is two voices. It's two voices speaking about him. The first voice is the voice of God, and the second voice is the voice of the Jewish people. The first one, God looks at him and says, yes. And the second one, the Jewish people look at him and they say, no. That's basically what it boils down to. It's very simple. That sets up the perfect storm, (laughs) all right? It sets up the conflict. And we're going to see in this conflict that it's going to appear, as we're going to move down through this book, is that Jesus is conquered by death. But when he's resurrected, it's seen that he had his greatest triumph over death in that sacrifice. So this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And what we find in this genealogy, it's very interesting, apart from struggling the pronunciation of the words, it's very interesting as you look at this genealogy because you see twists and turns in this genealogy with all sorts of people. I mean, some of these people in his genealogy are kings and heroes in Israel, and some are just shepherds. Some are prophets, and some are just downright sinners, the DRS type sinners, and some are saints. And it's interesting. And so the first thing is you strike off here as you start off with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is that you see, okay, you look at Abraham, you look at Isaac, there's no mention in verse two of Ishmael or of Esau. They were the firstborns. Both of them were the firstborns, but they had no interest in their spiritual position as firstborns. So you see right away, as you kind of look at this uh, genealogy, that you got secondborns in his lineage, and this is Isaac and Jacob. And also, you come down to the Judas, and you have Pharaoh and Zarah, who were twin sons of Judah, and Zarah, at the birth, he's the little guy that puts out his hand first. So they think, okay, he's the firstborn. Oh, no, because Pharaoh then, what are you doing? Pulls him back, and then he comes out first, and Ferris, the fighting second one that pulls the first one out back, he's part of the Lord's lineage, not Zerah. It's interesting that a trait of the secondborn is that they're highly competitive because the secondborn is typically a fighter. Give me a fight. I like to be in the fight. The firstborn says, no, nah, you know, you go fight. Huh? The thirdborn says, I'm going to go to lunch instead. But anyway, but it's interesting you have the secondborns, typically a fighter. And the Lord Jesus spoke about those who get into heaven in a very fighting context when he said in Matthew eleven twelve, Matthew eleven twelve, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Kingdom of heaven he's talking about. And then when he says in Luke thirteen twenty four, Luke thirteen twenty four, he says, Strive to enter in to the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and not be able to. So he's saying, strive, really, you know, go for it. And Luke 16, 16, Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached. And every man presseth into it. Every man presseth into it. So, you know, these are terms of real fight here. You know, pressing and striving and violent, taking it by force. He says in John 6, 27, John 6, 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And he says, and, and then Ephesians 6, 10, Ephesians 6, 10, this is about warfare. He says, you know, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Well, what are you going to put on the armor for so that you can look nice? You're going to put on the armor because you're going to fight. If you get to heaven and your armor is all shiny and clean, people are going to say, what'd you do down there? 
<laughs> when we get to heaven, our armor should be dented and bloodied, and then there people say, okay, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil from Ephesians 6, 11. And he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We're fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness. So we have this competitive second-born fighters in his lineage. Now, besides Mary, there are four women listed in the lineage of the Lord, and all four of them were foreigners. They were all strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. They weren't Jewish. They are, verse 3, Tamar, who was a Canaanite and committed incest with her father-in-law, Judah. And then in verse 5, we have Rahab, who was a prostitute, also stained with sin. We have, verse 5 also, Ruth, who was a Moabitess. We have, verse 6, we have Bathsheba, who's not named, but she was a Hittite, and she committed adultery with King David, also has her share of being stained with sin. In fact, she's not named. She's just referred to as her that had been the wife of Urias. Yet their adulterous union produced King Solomon, who was called Jedidiah, means beloved of God, and through whom the Lord Jesus comes through. What does it show you? It shows you the power of God's forgiveness after repentance. So all these foreign women are in the lineage of the Lord. It shows the truth of Colossians 3.11. Colossians 3.11 tells us that there is neither Greek nor Jew nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. It's interesting when you look at this lineage here that you have this bouncing back and forth between good kings and wicked kings. In verses seven and eight, for example, you have the wicked king Rehoboam, whose son was the wicked king Abia, and the wicked king Abia had the son who was the good king Asa, and the good king Asa had the good king Jehoshaphat, and the good king Jehoshaphat had the wicked king Joram. So all this shows, you know, back and forth, back and forth, that faith and godliness doesn't run in the blood. It doesn't run in the blood. Neither does wickedness run in the blood. Every person makes their own decision to believe God and follow God. And every person makes their own decision to not believe God and not follow God. But these are all in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at all these men in the lineage here, one thing becomes clear is that as far as his lineage is concerned, there's a lot here not to be impressed with. So it really goes back to Isaiah 53.2. Isaiah 53.2, which speaks about him as the root out of a dry ground. You look at his lineage, you see some pretty dry ground. But no matter who is in his lineage, no matter who's here, they all become more and more obscure as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we approach the Lord Jesus Christ. There is in this lineage, in verse 12, a significant event. And it's called out in verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12, it says, the time they were carried away to Babylon. In verse 12, after that, they were brought to Babylon. So this event is called the carrying away to Babylon. And it's called out as a specific event. And it was a significant event because that was a time in Jewish history when the Jewish people should have been totally annihilated. I mean, you know, who's ever heard 
of virtually all of the people taken as slaves and surviving as a people and then be allowed to return to their homeland and build up as a people again. It doesn't happen. And there's only one reason the Jewish people were not destroyed by Egypt, under Egypt. There's only one reason they weren't destroyed under Babylon. There's only one reason they weren't destroyed under Rome, under the Nazis. And the reason is a word that God spoke in Isaiah 65, 8, Isaiah 65, 8, where it says, thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sakes that I might not destroy them. So the only reason why the Jewish people weren't destroyed during the Babylonian captivity and all the others is because God said, destroy it not. Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. Just as you would expect, as we mentioned before, just as you would expect from the personality of a tax collector, getting a lot of pleasure in organization, not one of the things I get pleasure in, but anyway, that's tax collectors. He has neatly organized the genealogy of the Lord, just like he's organizing money. He's got three neat stacks of 14 coins. So the first neat stack is the 14 generations from Abraham to King David. And the second neat stack is the 14 generations from King David to the beard carrying away to Babylon. And the third neat stack is 14 generations carrying away to Babylon to the birth of the Lord. So, in the first neat stack of the 14 generations from Abraham to King David, we have the building up of the Jewish people from Abraham to a great people under King David. The second neat stack, we have the great people flourishing during the times of the kings of Israel. Some good kings, some bad kings, mostly bad, but nevertheless, flourishing. And the third neat stack is that we have the great downfall of Israel to a state where we find them here in Romans 1, in Matthew 1, of being under Roman rule. This is where the family of the Messiah has dwindled down from being the family of the great King David in the great city of Jerusalem to now being the family of Joseph, who is a poor carpenter in one of the most despised cities of Israel, Nazareth. And it will be from this poor family of Joseph that there will be the rising up again, the rising up again, as it says in Luke 2.32, Luke 2.32, the rising up will be from the Lord Jesus. He will be the rising up to be the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Balaam saw this. Balaam saw this all the way back in Numbers 24, 17. Numbers 24, 17, Balaam saw this when Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and she'll smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So from this poor family of Joseph, a star is rising out of Jacob, and a scepter is rising out of Israel. Now we come to how the Lord Jesus, an explanation on how the Lord Jesus was born in verse 18. It explains to us, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. So we're going to get an explanation. All right. His mother was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. So this is what happened. It was a period of time in the lives of Mary and Joseph where they were espoused to each other. The time was, it was a very important time, a very sacred time. It was like being married, but they weren't married yet. 
Mary continued to live in her parents' home. Joseph had not taken her to his home to be his wife yet. And they were just looking forward to marriage. It was a wonderful time. It was a time when young love was blossoming. And it was a time filled with bright hopes for coming happiness of the new home. And at last, they were going to be husband and wife. And it says there, the word found in verse 18, just portrays a shock. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. She found herself with child of the Holy Ghost. And the emphasis here is on Mary. Joseph found Mary with child. And Joseph didn't know that Mary was with child of the Holy Ghost. They loved each other. But now there was this huge barrier, which was just too great for his love or their love to overcome. A Mary, she knew a secret. She knew the secret. And we can only wonder, did she try to explain that to Joseph? Maybe she was just too scared to tell Joseph. Maybe she whispered it in his ear. Or maybe she just kept it a secret. But when the angel told Mary what was going to happen to her, that she was going to be with child of the Holy Ghost, she knew she was in for some really tough time. She knew it was going to be very difficult in her relationship with Joseph. But the beauty of Mary, the beauty of Mary is that she was willing to sacrifice even that when she submitted to God. When it says in Luke 1.34, Luke 1.34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary was told that she wasn't given details. She was saying the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. You're going to have a child. And she knew from the scripture that that's the same Holy Ghost in Genesis, who is described as brooding, Rakefet, brooding over the creation. In Genesis 1-2, the second verse in the book of Genesis, the earth was without form and void, Genesis 1-2, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, brooded over the water. The Spirit of God, Rakefet, over the face of the waters. So she knew the same Holy Spirit of God was going to brood over her and she'd be pregnant without any man. And the Bible gives no explanation other than the simple words in verse 18, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And she knew it was going to be an awful barrier between her and Joseph. When I was in Israel on this last trip, more than once an Israeli mocked me, an Israeli guy mocked me and said, sure, you think I would believe my girlfriend if she came home and told me she was pregnant by the Holy Ghost? That's exactly the way Joseph thought. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited-time offer for our Friendship with God study Bible and hymnal. This package includes a large-printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.